now. Okay, let's get this web conference underway. Kia ora kaito. We'll start with a karakia. Unahia te po te po perimarama. Tumakia te ao te ao whatatangata. Tātai ki runga, tātai ki raro, tātai ahurau. Haumie, huie, tai ki e hi. Kia ora tātou, haere mai, and welcome to the Wild Weather online field trip web conference. So we've had our fair share of wild weather in recent weeks, so it's really cool that we're able to talk to our experts today about wild weather and about some of our experiences on the field trip. So ko Shelley Takuingwa, your learns kai arahi on this field trip, and I'm here in Otipoti, Dunedin, and our experts are coming in from Gisborne District Council. Big welcome to Peter and Murray, and we'll give you a chance to introduce yourselves. Peter. Peter Hancock, uh, ho. Uh, so my name's Peter Hancock, and I work in around water. Uh, we we like to measure it. We like to measure how good it is and how much of it there is. And when there's floods, there's lots of it. And when there's drought, and there's been a few floods recently. And Murray. Oh, Kira and Marina. Hi, I'm Murray, and I'm the principal scientist here at Gisborne District Council. And I get involved in all sorts of things from the bad weather through to climate change and earthquakes and tsunami and things like that. So all the gnarly, really difficult things, I tend to sort of have a bit of my, my finger in that pie. Kia ora. And remember, you can watch the videos from the field trip and explore the Gurgle Earth Tour to find out more about wild weather and the field trip videos from a few weeks back, um, are all online for you to explore. So a big welcome to our speaking school. We've got Banks Avenue School coming to us from Christchurch and a student there that can introduce you. Um, this is Dudley. And my name is Joel. So Joel's going to just tell you what we've been studying this year. He's a bit nervous, but I told him to trust himself. Yep. So let's go for it. This year we've been studying climate change and we've had a person come in to speak with us about climate change. And so we've learned a bit from that and we've also had eco-educate come in. Fantastic. Kia ora, Joel. Thanks for that. And um, we'll get started with your questions. I know we haven't had a chance to share them, but we'll have time for probably five or six questions. We'll see how it goes. Um, okay, fire away with the first question, please. Uh, I'm not sure of the order because they've got the things there, but Marcel, you're, you're up first. Um, my name is Marcel, and my question is, Tornadoes aren't common in New Zealand. Why is that? Kia ora, Good question, because I've often wondered this as well. Peter or Murray? Sometimes they, sometimes they do have tornadoes in New Zealand. And did, Marcel, did you hear about the tornado in Auckland that happened a couple of weeks ago? A, a tornado a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. You did hear about that. 
Yeah. Yeah, that that was nasty. I, I used to live in Auckland. And oh. Of the whole of New Zealand, I think a place like Auckland gets tornadoes probably more often than the rest of the country. Uh, so we do get them, but we don't get them as often as, as some other countries. In, in America, there's a certain place in the Midwest, and they call it Tornado Alley. And, uh, and they're very used to tornadoes over there. They have to make their houses very strong because there's a certain time of year where they, they get lots and lots of them. And it's to do with the way that our weather works. Because our country is quite long and skinny, uh, it, it's not because it's not very wide, that means that the land doesn't heat up or doesn't provide as much heat as a big continent like Australia or America does. And when the land heats up, um, do you know that hot, hot air rises, hot air goes upwards? You know, when you boil the kettle and the steam comes out of the nozzle, and the steam always goes up, that's because it's hot. And when a big land area heats up, it makes air go up, upwards. And there has to be air to replace the air that goes up. So this, this air comes from the side. And when you get a very hot land and you get air go up, you get other air come in to replace it and it all mixes up and that's when you can get some tornadoes. So for, for New Zealand, because our country isn't very wide, or, um, we, don't, we don't produce as much heat as, as a really big country like America does. Um, so that, that's one reason why. Yeah, it's, it is the continental um, climate that's really controlling it to a large extent. Often in New Zealand, we actually get water spouts, which are the, the offshore equivalent of it, and they can actually convert into um, tornadoes if they hit the shore. And I was living in Greymouth a few years ago now, and we had one down there, which was a water spout, and then came in over the town of Greymouth and demolished some buildings, um, tossed cars to one side and things like that. And that's because... The, um, the sea is nice and wide, doesn't have any obstruction, and if it's relatively warm, same sort of thing can, can happen there. It happens um, in the Midwest and in the, in the, the States. You know, that hot air is rising up and the cold air washes in underneath, and you get that spinning uh, type of effect, which then tunnels up the water into a big spout, and then if it hits land, that can come in and um, convert into being a tornado and do damage. But... Um, we do have more, probably more tornadoes here than what we actually get reported and recorded. Um, it's just the fact that they often will be quite, quite small and people won't really register as much. We don't get those huge big ones like they get in um, the States so much. Um, in theory, um, the United Kingdom gets more tornadoes than um, the US does every year, but they can be really small. And so they're just not so um, reported in the news so much and sort of not so dramatic. But and so, you know, they can be different sizes. You can have a little wee tornado, nobody even notice. But um, so, yeah, it's just one of those things. The really big ones, states, places like that, uh, the US, that's where they tend to get them. Kia ora, thanks, guys. So, yeah, really interesting to hear that we, we get more than perhaps we think, but thankfully, they're just little. Thank you. Thanks, Marcel. And next question, please. Introduce yourself, of course. My name is Kaylee, and does Antarctica influence weather events in New Zealand? Oh no, Kaylee, good question. Yeah, well, that's definitely the case. And um, um, in Canterbury, you'd be seeing that at the moment, really, really cold with snow coming down low. And that's from um, 
really, really cold weather coming up from the Antarctic, running up through New Zealand now. And it's really cold here in Gisborne, even though we're further north, um, leave it closer to um, the tropics. Very, very cold here. Leave it like it would be down in Canterbury at the moment. So yes, the Antarctic well and truly affects our weather. And, um, and especially this, this time of the year. Yeah, and if we're talking about um, the weather down in Otipoti Dunedin, the snow that we've had recently, having come from the Antarctic, so yeah, certainly a big influence. Peter, you wanted to add something there? Yeah, sometimes it's to do with the water temperatures in the ocean too. Um, and the Antarctic has very cold water, uh, and sometimes if that water temperature, that water, cold water comes closer to New Zealand, that can then change the New Zealand weather. Um, so, yeah, sometimes it's more to do with the ocean as well, and the ocean can then control the weather above it. Mm. Thanks, Peter. And uh, next question, please. Kia ora, Kayleigh. Of course. Um, my question is, we measure rain daily. Um, how do you measure the weather records for hail? Oh, that is a good question, because we've had a lot of hail down here in Dunedin. Yeah, we <laughs> had a lot of hail in Christchurch. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, I, I don't measure hail. I'm not very good at doing that. But who does measure hail is the Met Service, and they use something called a radar. And uh, radar like... Um, like I talked about in the video, they've got a different kind. We, we use a radar for measuring water levels and uh, police use radars for catching you speeding when you're driving too fast. Um, but the Met Service use a radar, they point it up at the sky and they can, look at, um, they can look at how much rain is falling or how much water is up there. And water can exist in a number of different forms. You can get water that's steam you can get water that's like, and that's how you see clouds. Clouds are made of that, that steam. It's like a powder of water. Um, you can get water as raindrops when they're falling. Um, and raindrops, here's an interesting fact. When raindrops are falling out of the sky, they don't really look like the, the raindrop shape that you normally see. They look like a basketball that you've squashed. They, they look kind of flat like a peck when they're falling through the air. Um, and you can get frozen rain, can't you? And that frozen rain can be snow or it can be hail. And because of the size of the hail, the radar that the Met Service use can tell um, the, size of, uh, the size of the raindrops and then they can tell um, whether that's hail or, or, or water or steam. Um, and yeah, that, that's how they can tell. Yeah. And they, they can also tell the air temperature as well yes. because um, you, can't get, you can't get ice if it's really warm, right? Yeah. Put your hand up, guys, if you have um, seen the radar on the Met Service and used it to try and tell whether there's some rain coming. You've looked at the, the map and you've seen the image. Have you guys looked at the... Who's looked at the... Oh, I can see some hands there. It's quite probably about, 10, probably about 10 percent, I think. Yeah, that might be something that you could have a look at um, yeah. after this web conference and see whether there is any rain on the radar that you might get in um, Otatahi today in Christchurch. That would be a, a good exercise. Good stuff. Okay, next question, please. 
Hi, I'm Max. Uh, how dangerous is it for children to be out and in, inhale and thunder? Mm, I think we'll get some good advice out of this question. Kia ora, Max. Ooh, who wants to start here with this one? Um, well, the two things about it is it's not just the air temperature itself, but when you also get the wind associated with it, so it's really, really cold, and then you get a wind, and then you get what's called a chill factor. So that makes the, the cold air seem even colder. So it is extremely dangerous. If you people are out in bad weather with snow um, or hail, you, know, you can get cold really, really fast, and you're going to get wet. So your body's going to start to sort of cool down. And so you could easily get to um, be in a situation where you get what's called hypothermia. And that's where all your extremities get really, really cold. And your ability of your heart to pump blood around your body to keep it warm is reduced. And um, I've had hypothermia, so I can guarantee you definitely do not want to have that because it's a very bad experience. Um, and if it gets to the extreme, they call it frostbite. And frostbite is when the tips of your fingers or your toes might get um, blackened. And um, sometimes, unfortunately, people have to have those bits of their body chopped off if the frostbite is too hard. And again, you know, I've got that as well. There's a bit of a joke around here at the council because I don't have any fingerprints because I've had frostbite on my hands from being out in those sort of situations. So it's not just you young fellas, you young guys, that... Um, um, that cold weather can be really, really bad. It can be for everybody. So um, it's really good that you're in a nice warm uh, classroom um, there today because I think that's probably the best place to be. Max, I would, my answer would probably be it depends <laughs> because if it's if it's hailing outside and it's only a little bit of hail and there's no thunder or lightning, then I'd say go outside and have heaps of fun in the hail. Um, but if you're hearing lots of thunderclaps and um, big scary grey clouds and maybe you see the odd bolt of lightning or maybe you've counted the timing, you're, you're listening, you see the bolt and you're listening and the lightning, uh, the sound of the boom is only uh, one second away, one second after the lightning, then you might go, oh, that's really close, I better not go outside. But if you see a, a thunderbolt and then you count 10 seconds, then you know that that, uh, that that lightning cloud is maybe 10 kilometres away, so it's probably not, not as dangerous. Yeah, certainly not wanting to freak you out about weather because I think weather is one of the coolest things on our planet because it gives us so many different experiences. Mm -hmm. And it's great fun to be out in the snow and the hail and all that sort of thing, but taking precautions, wearing the right clothing and certainly not going out if that right overhead. <laughs> great question. Thanks, Max. And uh, your next question, please. I'm Hazel, and my question is what mindset helps you cope best and survive in a disaster? Oh, again, I think we're going to get some good advice from this question. Thanks, Hazel. What was, can you, can you say that, that question again, Hazel? What mindset helps you cope Best and survive in a disaster. What mindset helps you have this? Well, a good mindset to have is organised. <laughs> so if you're prepared for a disaster and you know what you're going to do in a disaster, then, um, then when the disaster happens, you're all ready. 
So um, we should all know, everyone who lives in New Zealand, we live on a tectonic plate and earthquakes are, are something that could happen to all of us. Um, you guys in Christchurch know that more probably than, than us up here, given the big earthquakes that happened there all those years ago. Um, so if you know when an earthquake hits in the middle of the night, if you know what you're going to do, like hide under a doorway, or you know where your escape plan is, you've got a plan with your parents as to what you're going to do in an earthquake, then you're going to be ready. Um, if you live really close to a river that could flood, you should have a plan for how you're going to escape during a flood in the middle of the night. Um, and uh, yeah, just being, being organised. But I think another thing to remember as, as well, Hazel, is to stay calm. Because when you stay calm, your brain can think through what you need to do. Because if you panic and scream and yell, you might not be thinking straight and you might not make good decisions. So it's important that you take a, some deep breaths, deep breaths, nice and slow, and you, you just slow your thinking down so that you make good decisions. Mm, great advice. And um, it's, it's expecting the unexpected. Um, we have lots of things that can happen here in Aotearoa, which makes Aotearoa a very interesting and scenic place to live. So we've got to think about, okay, what's possible and what plan do we have? And you might have a plan as a class and as a school and then at home as a whānau. So you've got to think about where you might be at any point in time and what your plan is and what you're going to do. And I remember when um, we had field trips down in Antarctica and it's really, really important to think about safety down there and what could happen. And they taught us to use what they called the STAR model, which was an acronym. So S stood for stop, T stood for think. Okay, give yourself some time to think through the situation. And then assess it. Okay, so what's, what's happening? What can we do? And the R was to respond. Because sometimes people forget about the respond, but they go, oh, what's happening? Oh, and then they forget that they might actually have to do something. So whether that's hiding under a desk in an earthquake or evacuating if there's flood risk, I don't know. That's, that's something that you should come up with in your plan. So the STAR model is quite a handy thing to think about as well. It makes you stop and think, oh, okay, what, what does that even stand for? And that gives you a bit of time to process as well. Kia ora, Hazel. Brilliant question. And we've got time probably for a couple more questions. Hello, my name is Bella. And our recent Canterbury floods were a one in 200 year event. Was it a water, I mean, a weather bomb? <laughs> this is a good question. Because we, we'd started calling this field trip weather bombs. And then we changed it to wild weather. So why, why did we do that, guys? Okay, you can do it with that one, Pete. <laughs> because the weather people have very specific words that they use for very specific things. Um, so when you think of a bomb, um, what does a, what does, I've got a question for you. What does a bomb mean to you? What is a bomb? What do you think of when you hear that word? Something exploding. Yeah, something exploding, right? So that, that's what you and I think of because maybe we've, we've watched uh, some cartoons where we've seen a bit of explosive and it's blowing up a building or, or something like that. 
Um, now, the weather people think of a bomb in a different way. And have, have you ever seen a, a weather map that has lots of lines on it? And they might have a big H for the high and a big L for a low. So when you have an H and an L next to each other, when those H, the H and the L are very close together, and there's lots and lots and lots of lines in the middle, and there's a difference, they call it air pressure between the H and the L, and um, they have a number, and that number says that this is a bomb. Because when you get lots and lots and lots of lines very, very closely together, that means really bad weather, really bad. High winds, lots of rain, hurricanes, tornadoes, lightning, heavy rain. Um, so that's what they actually have a number that they use that they, says this is a weather bomb. And, uh, and they're very careful around that, those words. Um, the Met Service is very careful around using those words because they don't want to scare people unless they actually need to tell people that it is a bomb. Because if they use a term weather bomb and it's not as bad as their description says, then they'll start scaring people. Um, so it's important for them that they use the right words in the right, at the right time. So if you hear our, our national weather forecaster, the Met Service, if you hear them talk about a weather bomb, then, um, then you really need to listen. Um, but you have to be careful because sometimes a newspaper will use the word weather bomb and the newspaper people are not right. Um, they like to use it to scare people, but um, which is why we very the, the weather people are very specific around that word, around when they use it. And the other part of the question, which related to some of those reports about the Canterbury storm we had just recently being a one in 200 year event, uh, that again is one of those sort of terms which is really hard to interpret. We don't actually have rainfall records going back 200 years. So how do we really know um, that it's a one in 200 year event? Really what we're saying is it's, um, there's, you know, a very, very small chance of that type of event happening in any one year, uh, rather than being, you have to wait another 200 years before you get to the next one. It doesn't work that way. So events like you had this year um, could happen next year as well, and then you might not have another one for another 100 years. But um, So you always got to be careful of that. It was a very big event, <coughs> excuse me, but, you know, got to be careful about that how you refer to it from the, not just the weather bomb side of it, but also saying one in 200 year event, because that may not be that way. And it's very hard to interpret once you get beyond the length of time that we have our rainfall records for. But it was a very big event, that just wasn't a bomb. Yeah, and that 200 year thing is more of a percentage rather than it happens exactly every 200 yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Ella. So weather bomb, when the air pressure drops very quickly over a 24-hour period, I think it's 24 hectopascals in 24 hours, if you read the background pages on our website. So it's a very specific event, but it doesn't mean that if something's not described as a weather bomb, that it doesn't lead to some extreme weather. So it gets a little bit confusing, just the terminology. Yeah. Glad, Bella, that you asked that question. And time for one more question. Hi, my name is Rylan and my question is, what are the greatest weather concerns for New Zealand weather experts? Oh, that is a good question. Thank you. Ooh, that's another hard one. Um, you guys are asking some really hard questions, so that's cool. 
um, up here um, in, in Gisborne Tarafati, it is really these extreme weather events, the things that we're discussing in those videos, are the type of things that we really get concerned about um, because they're immediate, they affect houses, we can have flooding uh, of property. So we've just had one in a small village called Tokamaru um, last week. And um, so those extreme events, particularly if they're local and we have our rural communities at risk, those are things that we really worry about. But in the longer term, when we're thinking about climate change, we have some other things we have to worry about as well, which is, will we actually have far more droughts? And so will that affect um, the farming communities? Will we, be, will we still be able to actually grow the crops that we currently grow? Will we still be able to have the, the um, animals on the farms that we currently have? Will we have that issue as well? So there's two sides of it. There's the immediate, where it's those extreme events, like ones like in the videos, and then we have the long term, when we worry about what will climate change do? Um, will increase the number of bad weather events we have every year? Maybe not, but though, will those events actually be, every one we get, will it be worse? So will we get storms that are more like the Christchurch, uh, the ones you guys had um, this last week, um, well, a couple of weeks ago now, or will it be um, something that is um, lots more of them, but but um, they're actually overall smaller, each one of them. So we just don't quite know that yet, but um, that's one of the things that we actually are doing a lot of work on, working out, okay, what way are we going to go? Are we going to have more extreme events every year? Are we going to have less? And what's the size going to be? And so a lot of things to, th things to think about um, with climate change happening in places, not just obviously here in Gisborne, Tarafti, but also um, in Canterbury as well and everywhere else in New Zealand. <laughs> Mm. I think that's why everybody likes to talk about the weather. They're always interested in what's happening day to day and how it might affect them, but also long term, how it might affect us. Peter, did you want to add something there? Yeah, yeah. And I would just add sometimes for you, it would depend on where you live and, and what the risks are for you in that one place. So if you live uh, on the top of a sand dune, looking out with beautiful views across the ocean, maybe your biggest concern for weather is when you get big waves coming and big high tides, really bad weather that chews out the dunes and might erode your house and eventually your house might disappear. So for you, those types of weather events are the biggest problem for you and the ones that you have to watch out for. Or maybe you live next to a river and if the river floods, then your house is at, at big risk of, of flooding. Or... Um, I know that in some cities, so in Auckland, maybe for you in Christchurch City as well, if you live in the city, um, this, the wind um, becomes a real problem because the big buildings um, can get blown around. Uh, they're, they're at a lot higher risk of, of wind damage. So the people that live in the cities have a bigger problem with wind. So they're watching for wind events as well. So sometimes it depends where you live as to what the biggest problems for you are. Mm, exactly and I can think of um, things that you know every day we rely on like rainfall if you're your um, if you've got a tank for your water rather than city water supply if it doesn't rain you've got no water and if you're growing vegetables and you don't get enough rain you get droughts 
won't have your vegetables or if you get floods, your, your vegetables are going to die. So there are lots of ways in which we rely on stable weather patterns. So it's, it's quite important that we try and reduce climate change if we can. So that's a really good question to end on. Thanks, Roland. Um, it's been fantastic speaking to you this morning. And I'm really glad that you could connect with us and that you've had time to think up some really, really good questions. So kia ora, well done. And um, just before we leave, um, I thought it'd be cool to ask whether you have any preparations for any wild weather, because I think your classes or your school is close to a river, is that right? Next to Dudley Creek. Yes, yes, we are. We're right next to Dudley Creek. And in fact, um, last week we couldn't open um, when the when the rain came. Um, we weren't able to access our school. So since the Christchurch earthquakes, what's happened here is when it really rains, Dudley Creek floods, but it joins up to the Avon. So it flows over the land, over River Road and into the Avon. So they've done a lot of, um, they've spent millions, the city council, um, trying to fix the Dudley Creek bed. But where our school is, we are right next to where Dudley joins the Avon Otakaro. So um, really no amount of work when you have a, a large volume of rain like that is going to allow it to join the river. So, so we did close for a week. And, um, and yes, you are correct. Um, we have big, big preparations here. So the children will know that we have, um, we have emergency um, containers in all of the classrooms. Um, and we have regular drills on every type of emergency that... Um, that there can be um, and most of the children here um, because we look out straight onto the red zone and we're one of the schools left in Christchurch that's waiting for a rebuild we're being rebuilt and we're moving to a new site next year so we're very conscious that when weather bombs come when you're actually still a school on a weather affected site um, we have the Opus engineers come out and they check the site and we check the land regularly because you might find sometimes with the ash felt where there's some liquefaction underneath, um, it can be a little bit, um, a little bit uh, washed away is the word. So they do lots of safety checks to make sure it's still a, a perfect place for children to be. But we are very uh, weather aware is what I would say as a school. Across the road from you, it's the old Shirley Boys High site in the That's 1970s. Where we're moving to. Yes. Oh, well, in the 1970s, when I went there, the school was closed for a day because the whole school was underwater. Yeah, and it's a very much a marshy kind of area, I suppose. But that's actually the um, that's where we're moving to, Barry. We're going to the the old Shirley Boys High site. We're being built there. They've started the building. So um, yeah, so no, we are we're very acutely aware of weather events um, in this community for sure. They might put some soil back that they took away, um, but you know that made Shirley Boys High more flood prone. They're probably going to bring in a whole lot of single, so that you've got really nice buildings. Yeah, that's right. Put yeah. the buildings on stilts. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. We, there's certainly been a lot of thought going into weatherproofing it for sure. We've waited 11 years, so um, mm. hopefully by the time we get there, things will be absolutely perfect. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Hey, well, thank you so much for sharing that. And it looks like you've got a classroom full of weather experts, which is fantastic. Kia ora koto, thanks everyone. And now we can all say a big goodbye. Bye guys. Ka Bye, guys. Bye. And thank you very much, Peter and Murray. Great answers this morning.
So you can listen to a recording of this session if you want to. It'll be on the website later on today. And you can join us to listen into tomorrow's web conference as well, if you would like. And um, sometimes we have time at the end for extra questions. So if there are questions you didn't ask, no, nope, they've gone. <laughs> they can be popped in the chat window. All right. Thank you, Peter and Murray. See you tomorrow. We'll see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow. Okay. Bye. Bye.